Hello, my friends. This is Dan Jones here to share another quiet talk with you. As a young man feeling the call to preach the gospel, I became fascinated with the revivals that took place under the ministry of Charles Finney. It was as I was reading some passages about Finney's work here in upstate New York to my wife back in 2004 that we both realized God was leading us to relocate here. At the time, we were living back in our home area around Memphis, Tennessee, where we both grew up. All of our children were with us, and all of our parents were still living close by there. I have prayed more than once that I would live to see a real revival, where there was a tangible change in the culture because of the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing sinners to repentance. Many of the towns in which Finney preached experienced this kind of significant moral realignment. For decades after his ministry there, Rochester, New York, for example, knew the wholesome reverberations of the great work God did through Charles Finney's preaching beginning in 1831. It was known to be a wonderful place to live and raise a family. And it was because of what God had done there through the preaching of the gospel. If there was ever a time in American history when we needed a powerful move of God, that time is now. A good term for what we see around us now is abject moral insanity. There is only one answer, deep, sincere, life-changing repentance. In Joel chapter 2, we read, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. He goes on, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the peoples say, where is their God? About a week and a half ago, in a talk called Fierce Wolves, I referred to the great revival under Paul the Apostle that centered in the city of Ephesus. In that conference he had with the elders before he left for Jerusalem, Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that today we talk more about faith in Jesus Christ than we do repentance, but both are required. There will be no revival until people, beginning in church, by the way, 
fall down before God and acknowledge their sin against him, and with all their hearts turn away from it to walk in God's righteous ways. There's a story of a great revival in the Old Testament. I think it's appropriate for us to consider it because it came at a time when the nation of Israel was already really past the point of no return. The revival merely delayed the inevitable. I believe that judgment on the United States of America is inevitable. Someone once said that if God doesn't judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But perhaps we could have an awakening such as we read about in 2 Chronicles 34. In that chapter, we learn about the career of King Josiah. He came to the throne of Judah when he was very young, but we're told that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of David his father. Like his famous ancestor, he had a love for God in his ways. Josiah initiated sweeping moral reforms, destroying pagan idols throughout his jurisdiction. After these efforts, Josiah began to repair the temple of God, which had been neglected by his predecessors. Money was collected throughout the kingdom, and even from God-fearing Israelites who were not from the tribe of Judah, which had split from the northern tribes many years before. In the process of carrying out this godly work in the temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of Moses, which had evidently been forgotten for a long time. He brings the book to Josiah the king and reads it in his presence. When Josiah hears the curses that are promised if the people turn away from God's law, he tears his clothing, a sign of deep mourning. He sends Hilkiah and his associates to inquire of the Lord concerning the anger of God toward his people on account of their sin. So they go to a prophetess named Huldah. She answers by saying that indeed there will be great disaster upon Israel because they had turned to false gods and offered sacrifices to them. All the curses written in the book of the law would be poured out on the nation, just as it had been written. However, she tells them to say to Josiah, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God and wept before him, therefore, these judgments will be delayed until after you're gone from the scene. Josiah gathered the people and he read to them the words of the law of God. He reinstituted the Passover which had also been neglected. So, in his day, there was a delay of God's severe judgment on the people. I believe that if we do indeed see an awakening in our own nation, that it will be like the days of Josiah. Perhaps the judgment hanging over us will be delayed, but it will indeed fall on this land and its people who have so decisively rejected Almighty God and His righteous ways. America doesn't have a monarchy like ancient Israel, at least not yet. 
So I personally think that an awakening must come from the ground up. It must start with the people, specifically the church people. Peter wrote in chapter 4 of his first letter to the churches, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? It is time for judgment to begin with God's own household. For too long, the church of Jesus Christ has abandoned her commission and sought instead to be popular with the world. We have pursued worldly success, which means bigger crowds, bigger budgets, fancier buildings. What we haven't sought is holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the Holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Is your church striving for holiness? Or just a hotter rock band? Fancy your strobe lights. Judgment is coming. It's time for the ministers to get on their faces and weep between the porch and the altar, as Joel tells us. It's time to rend our hearts and return to the Lord with all our heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. To answer the question posed in the title of this talk, I don't know if we will soon see revival or not. I do know that eventually the pendulum swings back the other way. I pray to God that it's about to do so. And I urge you, if you have any real love for the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, to repent of your sin, to turn from the empty pursuits and entertainments of this world, and get on your knees and pray for a new awakening in this land. It's our only hope. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will have mercy upon us. I pray that you will convict us of our sin and stir us up to seek you, to turn away from the things of this world that we have allowed to invade the church and to see the church once again to be the pure bride of Jesus Christ. Help us, God. Help me as a pastor, Lord God, to turn away from anything in my life that is hindering your work through me. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear friend, please pray for us at the Bread of Life Anglican Church. We meet uh, at the American Legion Hall in Schenectady at 1809 Union Street, Sundays at 10 a.m. We're seeking to establish a new congregation in that area. So we ask for your prayers. If you're in the area, if you don't have a church home, come visit with us, 10 o'clock on Sunday, 1809 Union Street. As always, you can reach me by email at father.danjones.com at Outlook.com. God bless you.